Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O gracious and most merciful God, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed yourself through creation that we might be able to see your majesty and your sovereignty, your power and your might, but also you've revealed yourself through your word that we might be able to know more about you. Lord, we pray that you would hold our life in your hand continually, that we would not forget your word. Lord, as we see the wicked in this world trying to entrap us, Lord, help us to hold fast to your word and your truth. Lord, let our, your word be our heritage and our inheritance forever, the joy of our heart, that we would have our hearts to be able to perform your statutes forever until the end. We pray that you'd be with us now through the work of the Spirit, that this would be an edifying task as we proclaim your truth, which is found in your word. We pray in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 3. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jezubites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come. I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will bring you, be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought, uh, when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name, and thus I am, going, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Here Moses is standing on this ground, this holy ground, bare feet in the dirt. And Moses asks the first question of five in these, this conversation, this dialogue that happens between God and Moses. He asks God, who am I that I should stand before Pharaoh? God doesn't answer him. He doesn't address him specifically and say, speak about who Moses is, but he points back to who he is that he will be with Moses. His answer is based on faith, that I will be with you. And you will know what I, that I have sent you, and you have accomplished what I have done, uh, sent you. And you'll know in the end, when they're free, when they're worshiping me on this mountain. As Moses stood there, barefoot and face covered, his second question then comes up. Who are you? What is your name? Now, this is not the first time in the Bible someone has asked who God's name is. Actually, Jacob, when he wrestled with God, and God gives Jacob a new name, the supplanter, the heel grabber, Jacob to Israel. And Jacob turns around and asks the Lord, what is your name? And God responds and says, why do you ask my name? The Lord then blessed Jacob. And Jacob called the place, name of the place where he wrestled God, Peniel, which means the face of God. The Lord actually will say later in the book of Exodus that he appeared to Abraham. He appeared to Isaac. He appeared to Jacob, but they did not know his name. In Exodus 6, verse 3. Now, before we move on to Moses, we need to understand a great and glorious truth that is revealed to us in this time. That Abraham, Isaac, Jacob knew who God is, but they did not know everything about God. God has revealed himself to his creation. He has done so and, and revealed himself through the history of time. And what we call this is progressive revelation. That as the Bible moved through, as people, the authors of the Bible re recorded the Bible through the inspiration of the Spirit, that we find out more about who God is as history progresses. That God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet He has revealed Himself through time. This is why it's important maybe to study things like systematic theology. Now, we often think that systematic theology is extra-biblical, something that is imposed on the Bible, imposing doctrines on the Bible. Now, sometimes that is the case. But good systematic theology is actually biblical in its foundation. What does the Bible teach us about who God is? What does the whole counsel of the Word of Scripture, 
teach us about who God is? What is His character? What is His attributes? And systematic theology seeks to be able to put them into categories that we might be able to understand what the Bible actually teaches, how God has revealed Himself to His creation. The second aspect that should encourage us about this truth is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob know God, but they don't know everything about God. That we are in the same situation. Now, although we are at the end of progressive revelation where God has revealed himself in all of Scripture that is sufficient that we might know about who God is and our duties required of man, we cannot know everything there is to know about God. But even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although they did not know everything about God, they still had faith. And actually, that's the definition of faith. That if you knew everything, there wouldn't be an aspect of faith. Faith is hoping for something. Believing in something. And so they, they were honored in, in Hebrews chapter 11 for their faith. That we might wrestle, we might understand who God is, but we will not know everything about God. And yet, we can still have faith. The author of Hebrews explains that these men died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Here they rest in the promise of God, not in their understanding of their fullness of who God is. And so too we do the exact same thing. We have faith in how God has revealed Himself in Scripture and we rest on His promises having faith, trusting that he will accomplish what he said he he will do. That we will not know everything there is to know about God. We'll be able to learn about who God is, but we will not know everything, the fullness of who God is. And again, this is a great and glorious thing. If man is able to wrap his brain around God or a God then that God is a God made by man. However, if man cannot wrap his brain around God, then that God is the God who made man and not the other way around. Now, this is not to then say that we, cannot, we can't know everything, therefore, why learn anything? God has given us his scripture that we might be able to learn about who he is. And as we look in the world, the world is filled with great questions, but often they have terrible answers to those great questions. They look to, to why, why is injustice happening in this world, but they do not have a God who is just. You cannot find out about true justice until you know the just God. You cannot find true goodness until you know the God who is good. 
And what we see in this part of this book of Exodus is God reveals himself to his people. But also, as we continue to read, that God reveals himself through his great signs and wonders, not only for the people of God's sake, but also for the Egyptians' sake as well. Pharaoh has the exact same question that Moses asked this very day. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go in Exodus chapter 5. But here God reveals himself not only to the people of God, but all of his creation through his great signs and wonders. And by the end of this book, the people of God and the people of the world will know who the Lord is. So what about God's name? Moses understands he is merely a messenger, an ambassador of God. However, he asks the question, whose name do I speak for? What signature is at the bottom of this letter that I am delivering? God answers Moses' question directly this time. He tells him his name is Yahweh. Now, all we know about this is really that there's four letters in Hebrew, Yod, He, Vav, and He. Now, this is known as a tetragrammaton, which basically just means it's a four-letter word. Now, often reading the Old Testament, Jews would come to this name and they would pronounce it Adonai, which is the Greek for Lord, or Elohim, which is Hebrew for God. And they did so because they were very cautious. They did not want to blaspheme the name of the Lord. So when they recorded it, when they put it into the Hebrew Bible, they placed vowels underneath the letters of the consonants. This is why previously you might have heard that people would say, Jehovah. And more currently, they believe that the actual name is Yahweh. Both are seeking to be able to translate the name of God as revealed here. Now, not only how do you pronounce this name, but also the question rises, what does this name mean? Now, three suggestions have often been argued. I am what I am. I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Now, this meaning has caused much scholarly debate, but I believe the Bible teaches that it's all three, all three aspects. The Apostle John records in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And here God reveals himself through his covenant name. He reveals himself to his people. What we see here is God voluntarily condescends to be able to make the covenant of grace with his people. God's name of promise, which he signs on the covenant contract. In our English Bible, his name 
translated often in the capital letters Lord, or sometimes translated God in capital letters. This is used about 6,800 times in the Bible. Now we often speak to those who call themselves atheists, saying there is no God. We encourage them to be able to look to God's world and also His Word, so they can see God's fingerprints on all of creation. They have more questions ultimately in their flawed worldview than they can answer. But often what they look at is an epistemological evidence, things that can only be seen and understood through their senses. We encourage them to be able to seek and understand that even in this world, you can see the, the fingerprints of creation, the Creator. There are, there are things in this world that cannot be accounted for only through observations. One example, I think, is as clear as morals. We would say there's such thing as right and wrong. But if we merely evolved, then the survival of the fittest is paramount. You might then be able to argue that maybe there's the benefit of society or for mankind that there we could form and establish morals, but even then, right and wrong is established within a realm. And there's no basis for it. Then a society would then be able to say, well, this is good for society at this time. But I think another group, which is even more prevalent, is agnostics. And you might then call them philosophical fencers. And they say that we cannot know for certain that there is a God or there is not a God. They can normally be on one side or the other. They're more atheistic in their side, or maybe believe that there is some form of God, but we cannot know anything about them. However, that's not what the Bible teaches us about God. It teaches us there is a God. But more than that, not only there is a God, but we can know who that God is. And He wants to know you. The God of the Bible does not merely set the world spinning like a spinning top and just walk away, but He providentially rules over His creation. He came down into that creation so that His people would be saved. Jeremiah explains this great and glorious truth. You will seek Me and you will find Me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. It's not merely God has created the world and is hiding somewhere that, come and find me. But he says, when you seek me, you will find me. But I think the third category is probably more what we deal with in our day to day. That there's a group of people that would say that they believe in a God, but ultimately they don't want to do anything, have anything to do with him or his people or his church. And I think this is probably the most prevalent in our culture and our setting. There's many people who walk away from the church. There's a group now which explain that they're just merely deconstructing their faith. 
Now some, in their absolute core, do not want anything to do with the God of the Bible. But ultimately, I think what they don't know is they don't know who the God of the Bible is. They grew up in a church, and they heard of a God who is not represented clearly in the Bible. They heard of a God who wants them to try harder, to do better. They heard of a God who who hates sinners and only condemns them. They heard of a God who doesn't care what you do. Ultimately, everyone goes to heaven. So what's the point? They heard of God who wants them to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way, do these things, don't do these things. And the God that they hear about has some aspects. They, they use the Bible, but ultimately they twisted and distorted the Bible to teach them about a false God. Not the God who has truly revealed himself in, this, in his word. These teachers have twisted and distorted the Bible. They have not taught the whole counsel of God. But God does reveal himself in his word. And my encouragement to anyone who is on that journey or or questioning, what can we know about the God who created this world? Well, let him speak for himself. Let the Bible do the talking. Read the Bible. See how God reveals himself. Let God tell him about himself in his own words. Let the Bible be the foundation of truth, not what others have said the Bible says. God tells Moses actually later in the book of Exodus, not just his name, but who he is. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, the God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. As we see this great and glorious truth that we pointed out previously, that God reveals himself to his creation. God is not merely hiding in heaven, waiting for mankind to try and make a way to him. But he reveals himself to his people. We can not only know God through creation, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, but he reveals himself through his word. John Blanchard said to know God's name is to know something of his nature. God reveals his name so that his name would be glorified. William Gurge says God's name, as it is set out in the world, word, is both a glorious name, full of majesty, and also a gracious name, full of mercy. God reveals himself to his creatures that they may give glory to God. That God is knowable, not merely just as the creator of the universe, but the redeemer of his people. He has a name, the the Lord Yahweh, 
the promise-making, covenant-keeping, grace-giving, mercy-showing, steadfast-loving, forever-faithful God. What's more than that is he wants his people to bear his name, to reflect his character. Listen to how the Lord speaks to his people through the prophet Isaiah. I am the Lord. I have called you to righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a co- covenant, give you a covenant for the people, a light for nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. The God reveals himself to us through his works of providence and creation, that he would receive all glory, honor, and praise. This is foundational to the Ten Commandments, the same mountain which Moses is now standing. God speaks to his people. Before he utters the commandments, he says, I am the Lord, the covenant name of God, your God. His name is used eight times throughout the Ten Commandments. But we also see this carried on in the New Testament. When we think about God revealing himself to his creation, he does so for a particular purpose. In Exodus, God reveals himself to creation to redeem and rescue his people from slavery. This was just but a shadow of when God revealed himself to creation to come down, to be able to put on flesh, to be able to dwell in the midst of his people. Jesus Christ came down, not to rescue us from physical slavery, but slavery of sin and Satan. He came down and died in our place that we might be able to be free and to be able to serve God. This is the glorious part. That it's not some new story of God's redemption, but the same story of God's redemption. Moses was punished and ridiculed by Pharaoh for being God's messenger. However, Jesus suffered and died not for his message, but who he is. Jesus was not sent to Pilate because he said things to upset the people. Religious leaders tried to be able to charge him that they did not pay taxes to Caesar and honor Caesar. But the real reason we know they wanted him dead, we find out in the Gospel of John. The Pharisees there in chapter 8 are claiming that they are descendants of Abraham and therefore they deserve salvation. Jesus pointed out if they were true descendants of Abraham, then they would share in the DNA that Abraham had, not in physical DNA, but spiritual DNA of faith, just as Abraham did. They would have faith in the promised son who would come to be able to deliver God's people. It's a great passage to be able to understand how people often misunderstand the Old Testament. The Old Testament then speaks about doing things. But in the end of the chapter, Jesus says, But you have not known him. 
I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Here Jesus says, I am the covenant name of God. That is my name. This is why the Pharisees sought to be able to kill him. Because he used God's name. He said he was God. Jesus said he was the God who revealed himself in the passage in Exodus 3. That he is the eternal son of God. That before the foundation of the world, he was. As the Lord told Moses, this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And Jesus' name will be renowned forever. As the Apostle Paul explains in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What a great and glorious truth that we see in this passage. That God wants us to know Him. And we know Him and He knows us. That He would be our God and we would be His people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed yourself throughout all of Scripture, that we might be able to know who you are, that we might be able to give you glory and enjoy you forever. Lord, help us as we often have a false conception of who you are. Lord, help us to be able to know the truths which you have taught to us you have revealed yourself in Scripture. Lord, help us that we might, our knees would bow, that our tongues confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We pray in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.